everyone out there. How's it going? Welcome back to Screen Speak. I don't know why I said it like that, but I chose to. It's the podcast that is all about movies, life, and so much more. I'm Jordan Anderson. This is my podcast, and you're here. And by being here, that means you get my thanks and deep appreciation for you taking the time to listen to this over any other podcast out there, because they are all terrible, and mine is the best. That makes no sense. Okay, so... Mr. Adam Wall has returned to the podcast. Adam, how are you? Uh, I, I, I don't think it's picking it up. Yeah, <laughs> talk with, uh, you can talk with your mouth full. Duh. You're right. That's right. I've been eating some chips because this was very last minute and there was no planning involved. So It is true. So that's why I've been eating the chips. I always heard that chips on a podcast is like the, it's a really good combination. So. Like chips and talking with the chips in your mouth. I think the only thing that may that would actually perhaps make it better is if you had like a the bag with you so that you could get the crinkle effect of reaching in. Just constantly. I do have the bag on me, but it's like a Costco paper bag. So sadly, here can you like put it by your microphone and like shake it around? Wait, why is it no, it's still not doing it. It's like it's canceling out the audio. Does it know? It might, honestly. It might just like reduce static. This is a pretty nice microphone, man. It must. It like, gosh, it can't even allow for a funny chip bit. That's so dumb, dude. Well, technology's you know, the worst. Do you know what's not dumb? What's not dumb? V for vendetta. <laughs> <laughs> so like, stupid. That was an, ex- an excellent segue into that. <laughs> okay. Ugh. All right. So we're here today. Uh, a bit late, honestly, because uh, I was actually going to be releasing this initially on uh, November the 5th, because if you're familiar with V for Vendetta, you will know that November the 5th holds significance in the movie. So I was trying to do that. And I'll give a little insight into why that didn't happen real quick before we get into everything else. But I had recorded an episode for V for Vendetta on uh, Wednesday, which would have uh this past Wednesday, which would have been uh, November the 3rd. And I was about like an hour or so into it. I had another guest on. Uh, It was John Ortman, who I had had on, I believe, for episode three or four of the podcast. Um, So I I offered to have him come back and he was a good sport and came over. But then my whole uh, setup on Audacity where I was recording it, it just completely crashed. And I couldn't recover the audio. And I think we spent like an hour or so talking about it. And I just lost the whole thing. I was not happy. And I tried to just see, I'm like, well, maybe he can come back and do it. And we were kind of talking about it, but the schedules didn't work. So I was like, okay, John, you suck. Let me get somebody else that actually wants to be here on the podcast. So I got Adam to come back. And John, I'm just, I'm just kidding. If you're listening, this, this is not against you. It's just Adam was available. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh wait adam you're 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 muted again you 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 did it eat dicks john i'm just a better friend you know uh, that's that's all there is to it really the gauntlet has been laid out or laid down did some people say that like you know they it's uh what what is it you threw you threw shade against someone do people throw say shade that? yes people do, do you, say that well i wasn't sure i wasn't yeah. like if that was i, I don't you know do, you don't know what it's lit means, so that that, that makes sense to me. You know, speaking you of know. what's not lit, 
huh. what happened with Travis Scott and his yeah, concert. <laughs> it was so, it's so I'm sorry. Bad. I, I shouldn't I shouldn't laugh, but like, let, why don't we talk about that real quick for a second? Because it yeah, let's do that to us having the segment at the end of the Shining episode talking about it's lit. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, it's pretty bad. It's like what eight or nine people are dead. Right? Yeah. Do you, did you hear about what happened? I was I was literally so, reading an article about this before I hopped on this podcast. Okay, so I will I will tell you my version of what I know, and then you yeah, fill me it. in because yeah, I, I don't know. It's it. it's all recent. Um, go for it. I just saw that it was at some festival. I think it was part of a festival. I don't think it was just his show. And I think there was like a 50,000 50, people. I want to say. I'm not really sure. Again, for accuracy's sake. But all I saw is that there was some mad rush, apparently, to get to the front, to get to the front of the show. And what it seems like what happened is that there was people that likely got trampled and maybe also and or suffocated because of like the lack of oxygen with like everybody being so tightly packed in and just clustering like that. Mm-hmm. And I also don't know if perhaps some died as a result of drugs or... Or if some people also maybe died as like a result of like pyrotechnics from the show, because it did look like they had like some flames and kind of some crazy setup for the stage. And maybe people got too close and got just lit on fire. I, I don't know. So, I mean, that's, yeah. that's just kind of what I heard. Like, oh, and I, and I heard the age ranges of the people too. There's like a 14 year old dead and 17 and 20. I think the oldest was 27 or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's, what, it's really sad. Yeah. What, what, yeah. What did you hear about it? So what I was seeing was they kind of are putting a little bit of the blame on Travis Scott specifically. So a lot of these music festivals, the problem with music festivals as a whole is the people who actually organize and run these music festivals. It takes so much organization and like logistics to get these things running and actually get them running smoothly. But the people who actually organize these things are usually people that are on fucking drugs or they're rappers themselves like Travis Scott, like Travis Scott organized this whole fucking thing. And do you expect Travis Scott to really be a really good logistical mind and like think about what's best for the fans and these sorts of things? He doesn't. He doesn't give a shit because he's he's he cares about music and doing drugs and like hanging out. So that leads to a lot of issues with a lot of different music fests. So you see things like Fire Fest and you see things like what happened mm-hmm. in the 70s. There's a lot of issues with music festivals. Yeah. And music fest a lot of music festivals today still have the same issues where it's crowded with fucking people. There's not enough logistics, not enough bathrooms, not enough staff. Things like that really lead to issues with music festivals sometimes. This specific one, yeah. the biggest issue was they oversold the show. So there's a fuck ton of people seeing Travis Scott. And then they also let like random people in. So a bunch of people that didn't have tickets to the show basically came in like illegally in a sense okay which led to like a fuck ton of people being at the show and if there's too many people it just gets really crowded yeah and that's what led to like the suffocation and people trampling each other yeah and it's really scary and honestly it's pretty no, sad it is. But, yeah, yeah. It, i uh, know i i know the yeah i didn't i didn't know about the the capacity issues on that which it, it makes sense and that i mean i could get it um I think it's more alarming though what you said is that if even today by today's standards there's still music festivals or things like this being put together very kind of haphazardously and sloppy and not having the proper resource and backing behind it um you know 
I, I don't pretend to be like an expert event planner on that. I, I, I have actually helped plan some events for like work stuff and, and whatnot before, but obviously never anything to that type of scale. But yeah, I mean, it does get you, I don't know. I mean, it gets you thinking about like, like how shows like that need to just be more mindful of that. I mean, because like, they're, like to me, like there almost shouldn't be an excuse for that. I mean, like that's yeah there is some i mean people should be held at fault i think for for some it's, of this it's I, pretty I don't bad know. honestly like you can put a lot on like government needs to crack down on these sorts of things because that's this this is a big issue in the 70s so when you had things like woodstock and yeah. there were a bunch of similar things compared to woodstock but basically the government wasn't really involved in these sort of decisions and it really fucked things up because you'd have tens of thousands of people that would just come into these farms in the middle of nowhere and expect to have like drinking water and bathrooms. And these things just did not exist. So a lot of people like it was very unsanitary. A lot of people died even. And everyone's on drugs, too. So it's like it's a bad combination. And the governments need to make sure things like this don't really happen. And honestly, Travis Scott should probably take a lot of the blame for this happening as well. Yeah, but it's pretty sad. Well, I'll want to see, you know, because I I probably will follow the story like a lot of people will. But I do think there's more information that still needs to be shed on the whole thing. I I, I think I think from what's been reported, a lot of it, you can already kind of draw the conclusion of some of the stuff that's happened. But, you know, like I want to see like some of like the autopsy reports. I want to see like more like firsthand witness accounts and hear from like the actual whoever was behind putting the show up whether it was you know travis himself or you know if he had some other people helping i don't really know but yeah the whole thing just reading about it over i guess the last couple of days uh yeah i mean i i feel bad very much for the family and you know people just wanting to go to have a good time i i don't think they were suspecting that something like that would happen so it's pretty pretty bad way to go out too i mean it sounds like no it does, not, it does not sound very fun yeah no it does you not know. sound very fun at all so um i i, I want to say real quick so adam do you remember this would have been i want to say this would have been about two years ago i could be off but do you remember that cedar rapids like here in cedar rapids they had attempted to put on this new music festival that failed miserably I, I heard about that. I don't, yes. I wasn't really a part of it, but I do remember it was sort of a thing. It was for Maroon 5. That's right. Yeah. But like, yeah. didn't like nobody buy tickets or something like that? Well, so or... there's, there's a couple of high, high <clears throat> a couple of highlight like bullet points that I'll shed on it just because it's, it's related to this music industry st- or music festival stuff. So yeah. the whole festival was brand new. So like it did not exist to the city before. And there was this, company through the city of cedar rapids and again i i think i'm saying this correctly somebody could fact check me in case i'm not an expert which i'm not yeah um so it was an event company through the city of cedar rapids that was putting this whole thing together it's supposed to be the first of many annual music festivals they were trying to draw in like more mainstream talent they were going to be doing it down by the nubo area they had this whole area that they were excavating out for it um, and they're inviting all these different vendors from outside, um, outside states and whatnot to come and, and sell their, you know, sell their shit and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, what I heard went horribly wrong about it was that one, they just kind of rushed the whole thing. Like they didn't take their time with getting a lot of the logistics, right? So they rushed the whole thing. The people behind it didn't really consult with people that had experience. 
um, in putting things like that together. So I think there were a lot of chances taken. And what ultimately ended up happening is the thing you said where like no one ended up showing up. Yeah, they they did a really weird, sloppy job of promoting it. Like it was promoted very poorly. Is is uh, very poor promotion, and then on top of it, the price for like the whole show was obnoxious. I think it was like just for like a general admission seat, it was like over three hundred dollars. Like, Are you serious? Like Holy yeah, like something Jesus. like something crazy, and it like oh it's, it's not even for like you like you don't even get like any like real great VIP deal, you know, or oh, anything yeah. like that. It's just like here, come come to this crappy prepared festival and shell out a bunch of cash for maroon five and like one other person and and then the other thing i heard and this was actually from people that went because i Mm -hmm. did talk to a few people that actually went there and they said that the whole area was like just like on like this like gross dirt patch like it wasn't really like even a nice area so like you couldn't even like bring like your own chairs and blankets to sit because i think like the ground was kind of wet and muddy and just terrible Uh, And also, I think, like you said, just like lack of bathrooms and and other things. But I just I remember that whole thing happening and just thinking, well, I was really sad because the whole thing went so poorly. I'm like, this is going to be like such a a freaking gut punch to the city for them ever trying to draw in mainstream talent like that again. Like, I think it really hurt the city's reputation for being able to host things like that. Um, and then the, the, the last thing I'll say about it that I heard is that the company that again was putting this whole thing on, mm-hmm. they also like dropped out of, um, paying people like they, oh, like, really? owned, like they like owed construction oh companies God. and stuff money. And they're just like, yeah, we can't pay you because we, we, we bombed so hard on the attendance. We made no money off this. Mm-hmm. So there were lawsuits I know that happened and it like, I, I'm actually pretty sure the event director for the event, like definitely got fired. Like think they Jesus. lost their they lost their livelihood for sure oh my god but anywho, that's uh there's a yeah there's a lot that goes into putting on a concert and uh very sorry to hear about travis scott and what happened with that yeah dude it's it's uh it's pretty sad i feel bad it's but... actually I, it's like the first time i've talked about like a current event on here that's really you know, yeah i mean uh-huh. you know i normally keep it about the movies and whatnot but sometimes these things just happen it's like this you know it's last minute you know that's just like how this podcast is as well it's true but that said you talked about the government needing to control this and the (laughs) government is a part of v for vendetta so (laughs) government overreach man it's government overreach it's true it's true it's 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 there okay so i'm we're going to talk about act we're actually going to talk about v for vendetta right now so yeah, this move this movie came out in March of 2006, uh, March 17th of 2006. If you really want to know the truth, and it's got Hugo Weaving as the title character V. It's got Natalie Portman as Evie. John Hurt is Chancellor Sutler, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a there's another there's just a handful of really great British actors. Stephen Ray. Um, why can't I think of some of the other ones on there? I'm Stephen up. Fry. Stephen Ray, Stephen Fry. There's a couple of Stevens in here, uh, but they're they're both good. Um, but anywho, this this movie is, I would arguably say, is now considered a classic in certain groups. Uh, it's now like 15, 16 years old, which is pretty pretty crazy. Um, but I'm gonna I'm just gonna I'm holding up the 4K right now for the movie, and I'm just gonna rattle off the synopsis on here, and then we'll 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 get into it. So okay. you know, actually. 
okay this is actually a terrible synopsis but i'm gonna read it um who is the man who hides his scarred face behind a mask (laughs) hero or madman liberator or oppressor who is v and who will join him in his daring plot to destroy the totalitarian regime that dominates his nation that like Hmm. that's that's just a bunch of questions that's not a synopsis uh okay from the creators of the matrix trilogy comes v for vendetta an arresting and uncompromising uh uncomp i can't say uncompromising uncompromising vision of the future based on the powerfully uh, powerfully subversive graphic novel again not saying anything about the story so okay thanks thanks 4k movie for trying to help me out there um what i would actually say the story for this is i'll make my own synopsis up for it is that it is set in the near future, um, around the 2020s or 2027. They never, I don't think, explicitly say when this movie is is taking place in. But it's essentially saying that there was a war that broke out in America and that it spread and extended across the seas into England and other different places and that it caused the at least the, the United Kingdom to forego whatever previous democracy was there and they adopted a totalitarian basically dictatorship very similar to like george orwell's 1984 and very hitler and you know that kind of uh tyrannical shitty government so it's not not great but what i want to talk about first on here is that there is there's definitely some really stark haunting real life comparisons that actually are more relatable now than they were when this movie first came out if you think about it mm-hmm. so one i talked about the time frame that this is start uh that, this, that the movie's set in and it's arguably started because of a virus get when i you get where i'm going with this oh. right? it's it started because of a virus and it causes war and division and fear to run rampant throughout the government and then also throughout the citizens. And yeah, I mean, actually just it's, it's pretty, pretty kind of messed up how some of those elements are, you know, quite relatable in the last few years. I'm not trying to make a political statement here, but I think anybody would be saying or anybody would agree that the last few years in this country, America, it's been very divisive for mm-hmm. number of different reasons so um i don't know adam when you when you think of this movie do, can you understand why some of those comparisons are are there no yeah very much so uh you know vaccines cause you know vaccines are going to make us all bow down to our overlords at some point i'm sure it's just the way things work you know well if i get <laughs> if, if you put the, if you if the vaccine gets in me that causes uh, me to want to buy microsoft products right that, that's the key really microsoft is the answer i think to all of this I think, you know, <clears throat> no i i this movie is very good it kind of i honestly feel like the presence of v for like the the theme of v for vendetta and the whole like government is like taking over and it's a fascist thing it's a little bit overdone i feel like I feel like it's something that has been discussed quite a lot, but it's a very enjoyable movie and they do it in a way where it's like, Ooh, you don't know what's going to happen next and what's going on. Like I really, I feel like the themes of this movie are a little bit overplayed at times, but I really enjoy the movie as a whole. I really like the action in this movie. I really like just kind of the way they keep, like laying down the line and the mysteries that are coming next and everything. The, the narrative, the narrative structure for the movie is 
I think it is really good because if you think about it, there's a handful of different stories that are being told at the same time. So first you have the story of Evie, Natalie Portman, you know, who is this woman that accidentally gets involved with this terrorist and or freedom fighter named V mm-hmm. and you're just following the story from her point of view, trying to just navigate and survive in, in this dystopian future. And so yeah. there's that story. You have the story of V of course, you know, themselves trying to figure out who is this mystery person? What are his intentions? He's going to cause a revolution you know, what's going on with that. And then Mm -hmm. you also have the story of the detectives of them trying to solve the whole thing throughout. So there's a whole like underlying detective narrative going. And then the fourth storyline I would argue is all the political um, end of it, where the government is trying to stop the the terrorist V and they're trying to control the narrative um, through a lot of different things on that. So there's a lot of different storylines that are being bobbed and weaved throughout the movie, but I would say that this movie does handle it very well and, and actually pretty seamlessly. Um, it all blends together very well and it, and it makes for a, a pretty damn good movie. So, um, one thing I'm going to, I'm going to show you, Adam, I had actually talked about it in the now lost episode that no one will ever hear. Um, <laughs> but I, I, we, I'm doing this over zoom right now. So Adam can see this, but do you see this, this collector set that I have for the movie? Oh my gosh, dude, that's so dude. fancy. It's like it's, steel. It's oh his, it's his prison cell. It's his, it's his prison cell. Oh dude. Yeah. That's, that's this is what, this is just one of the cooler collector's editions I have. And they only released this in 2020. Um, oh wow. So it's, it's very new, but I'm going to, I'm going to unpack it here quick so you can see what's in it. Cause it oh is cool. God. It's worth, it's worth talking about. So, the inside very cool it has uh the rose so it's like it has a rose um what, what would you call this a a print i guess rose yeah. print. you know uh-huh. the... well, it's like shiny too or yeah, it's, it's just the inside of the box as a whole right yeah yeah it's the inside of the box it's very cool um the first thing that it comes with on here is this print which is cool of a a letter that the that the director wrote for the release of this movie and it's actually pretty cool because he literally cites like COVID-19 and like the comparisons and like why he's like proud that in a weird way, this movie says something, you know, really, it still says something after all these years. And then yeah. it has this cool, very, very shiny uh, book that has um, it's packed full of all kinds of stuff. It's got notes on a scene. It's got some of the original concept art from the movie shows how they made some stuff um it's it's very cool so like this is like an excellent read like if you're on the toilet and you just want to you know you want to learn about movies while yeah, it's a... <laughs> you know not being on your phone it's an uh-huh. excellent read for that and then of course you got the 4k itself so you know it's uh it's very it's very cool you know? dude is it is this the one of the cooler what's the coolest collector set you own oh you the coolest or what's co- your favorite uh, do you mind if i grab it here i'm, I'm yeah, gonna grab it I, i'm gonna, I'm gonna yeah. grab it F- fill the air while i grab it all right. Uh, my, uh, how do I fill the air? Um, last night I had a dream about I was I was there was this internet personality right, and with this internet personality, I was telling him he was like five foot two. I don't think he's actually five foot two in real life, but I was telling him to <laughs> stop going on Twitter because it's ruining his life and he's becoming very sad because of it. And he basically like stared at me and then walked away and was like ignoring me as I was telling him this. And I thought it really meant something, you know. Anyway, Jordan, what is this collector set? 
I'm glad <laughs> I'm, uh, you hand you handled that you handled that well. You handled that yep. very well. Okay, so now this is this is by far like the granddaddy, like my 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 favorite collector's um set that I have, and it is not to be like ooh, like look at me, but it is the most expensive set in my in my collection, like hands down. Dang. So, again, I'm just showing this to Adam. You guys can't see it, but I will describe it in intricate detail for your ears, so that oh, you're, yeah. not, you're not missing out. Um, so it's this right here. Can you see this? Oh, the Lord of the Rings, baby! The Lord of the Rings 4K limited edition. This, this is definitely a limited edition set. Um, so it's like a fake book, you know. So you can see, like, it looks like looks like a book. It's very cool. <laughs> Um, but it opens and it has a, a cool, amazingly detailed map of Middle Earth. It actually comes with a really good replica of the one ring. Like it's legit pretty good. You yeah, know? that's sick. Yeah. Um, and then it just comes with the the 4K set of 4K. the theatrical and extended editions. Oh my uh, god. All, all in one case. And and honestly, it's like there's there's not like a lot else on here like you're mainly paying for the presentation because this is a really cool case it's really excellently packaged but yeah that's sick. this this was not cheap not really <laughs> this this was I, I think i paid 130 dollars for it holy jesus jordan yeah yeah i mean that's really sick though and it's something you care about like lord of the rings is your like absolute favorite right well i mean i i I want to say, I mean, like, of course, like it's a favorite series of movies. I, I do love them, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't help it, man. You know, I love my physical media and yeah. I do love a good collector set. Like I, I, I have a couple of other collector sets that I have too, because I, I just really think that that's one of the things that physical media is different on is like, if you get a really cool one, you know, for someone that really is going to appreciate it, it holds mm -hmm. its value and it looks great on the shelf um and i don't know you know i'm a fan so i i want to support this stuff That's but yeah it's uh the only the only bummer i would say about it is is that the 4k set on this it doesn't have like jack for bonus features that's the, uh. that's the only gripe i would have but and i'm not buying this i want to be clear about this i don't know if you've heard but they have the ultimate like ultimate 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 middle earth 4k granddaddy collector set and the uh -huh. thing is like $300 or more. And it's Jesus got, no, I'm serious. It has 60 discs with it. Oh my gosh, dude. Like, cause I, it has all the many... Lord of the Rings, all the Hobbit, all like every edition uh, of it possible. Okay. And then there's bonus features. And like, I, I we got a marathon. I, it. We got a marathon at some point. The whole thing. I've never, I, I've actually never done it. Really? You've I, never marathoned all three Lord of the Rings? No, no, no. no. I'm talking hobbit and lord of the rings the oh. whole story jeez dude that would be <laughs> the hobbit would be a slog is a problem dude i think yeah. getting through the hobbit would be a harder part like that third hobbit movie is just garbage i think and it's yeah. just like after you have you have six hours of hobbit just the hobbit do you know there's extended editions of those as if there they are long... yeah, yeah as if they weren't long enough already Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, but no, I just I, I wanted to show you that we were talking about the, the 4K collector set, so I, I, I couldn't help myself and, you know, I knew you oh, would yeah. appreciate it, but yeah, dude, it's pretty cool. So let's go back. Let's go back to V for Vendetta. Um, 
do you know a lot about like the historical influence with it like with guy fox and and that whole story because guy fox is a real person like that's not just made up for the you know the sake of the story in the comic book he is real oh really i do not know i honestly do not know the backstory of it or like what's going on well i'm gonna share the little notes that i have that nice, that that are on it but the but, but you know the movie talks about it too um so from what i was able to gather guy fox he was part of what is considered it's, it's called the gunpowder plot um of 1605 and it was essentially a failed assassination attempt against king james at the time oh, okay. apparently king james and his whole regime or whatever you want to call that um, for years prior, he had been very uh, discriminative and oppressive towards uh, Catholics. Um, oh. And I think it's a specific group of Catholics. I, I can't say for certain, but he really did not like the Catholic monarchy at the time and was really trying to just get him out. Like he didn't he didn't like him. And okay. so Guy Fox was part of a group to be like, well, we don't care about that. We're going to rise up against this government and, and take them out. So they had um this whole big thing of gunpowder that they were trying to sneak under the building of parliament to to blow it up and kill him right it's pretty extreme uh and if you remember the opening of the movie it does show actually that's the very start of the movie it shows guy fox back in the 1600s getting caught for this Mm -hmm. um and then they eventually hang him and kill him but that's not the point the point of showing that is that his idea his message what he stood for is bigger than himself and of course the character v that's kind of what he's all about you know he wears literally a mask of guy fox throughout the entirety of the movie to to show that you know you know that's one of the classic lines in the movie is just like what what does he say is like people people should not be afraid of the government government should be afraid of the people you know that (laughs) that that whole thing um but yeah, I don't know. I was just curious what you knew about that, if you knew anything. I did not. I did, honestly did not know about that. I knew about the mask and that it's sort of it had some significance to past history of like British yeah. revolutionary stuff. But I wasn't I wasn't sure on the exact history. So that's interesting. Well, and it essentially just means like if you see the mask, you're just like it means revolt. It means like, you know, we don't like the man. The government's mm-hmm. bad. Take them out. Yeah. I, and I actually one thing I had talked about with John when we were recording the episode that will never show up. Um, we talked about how like we weren't sure if the mask was like, you know, like when the replica of Guy Fox got made, because like I feel like there's other like, you know, people that are like against the government and all that ha- that have worn the mask and it's been around before, but I don't really know. And I know there's a hacker group. That was the other thing we talked about is that there's some hacker group that actually wears the the other guy Fox mask now. Yeah. Yeah. And like they, you know, they've put out like they're hackers and they've, you know, stolen people's money or social security numbers or something like that. And they're like, we're, you know, we're terrible. (laughs) We're helping guys. We're doing it. Revolution. I I don't really know. But I, I, I do think it's interesting for the movie. Um, and, 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 and yeah. It's yeah, a sick looking mask too, I will say. Like he, he does it look like cool. it's, it's sinister mixed with like mysterious, mixed with like a combination of things. Like imagine if it was like a clown mask. Do you think the movie would be any different if it was like a clown mask 
or I like don't... a mask of like it was just Bill Murray's face or something like that. Do you think? Do you think Bill that Murray's would change? Face. Do you think that would? Do you think that would change V for Vendetta at all that much? Or do you think it's? I think if honestly, it's probably just another layer into the symbolism of the movie as a whole. And yeah, because there's a lot of symbolism. Evolution. Yeah, I don't because know. It's not necessarily that specific regime as a whole. I think they're just talking about more governments as a whole, and that being afraid of their people is more important. And like we shouldn't we shouldn't be letting the government just like stomp all over us, kind of thing, you know. So yeah, I I know the first time I saw the movie. It was an interesting adjustment I just had to make as an audience member because you're watching a person give a performance and he's being, I would say, largely serious throughout it. But yet his face is behind this mask that's like, eh, and like, you know, like it's smiling. It's kind of kind of, you know, it's kind of goofy. And so, you know, there's there's parts where he's saying serious things, but then it's behind the smiley face mask. And I just remember like that, that took me a minute to get used to it, but yeah, you know, then I then like kind of once I got what the, what the movie was going for, like I actually really, I really got into it. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, I think it adds a, to the mystery of it too, because it's really hard to read it. V's emotions throughout the whole thing and sort of like understand his true motives of what's going on because he just still has always that smile on his face. Yes. And like knowing exactly what he's thinking is like, because you don't know who he is really either. So it's like, no, and that's the mask part is of- very, Go ahead. ahead. No, you go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, like, the mystery of it really adds to making a very suspenseful movie that's really enjoyable, I think. I'm curious on the subject of dictatorships, because it's impossible for me not to, like, kind of get into that a little bit. But do you have an idea of just how they come to be? Dictators? Yeah, just like Um, dictatorships, like how they happen, because I feel like. I, I mean, I, I want to hear what you have to, what you think about this, but I can just say for myself, like, I, I'm going to sound like such a snob here. If I could like, you know, turn my glasses like this, like, I'm so smart. Um, but I took a class about genocide when I was in college, actually. Um, really? It was just like, yeah, it was just as an elective. And I took it just for um, a semester just because I had some time. And I was like, I think that sounds interesting, actually. And they actually really talked a lot in great detail about, how genocide becomes something that like a country can buy into like how it happens how it gets communicated from a political level Mm -hmm. um because it's easy to look at it like now like in the you know in the past or sorry in the present and be like that's ridiculous i can't believe they ever did that and blah 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 but no like clearly enough pieces were put together that people were able to buy into doing some pretty horrific things you know in the name of greater good so it always makes me it makes me, yeah, it just makes me wonder, like, how in the hell these things actually come to be. So, I don't know. I just wanted to hear what you thought about that. For dictatorship specifically, like, I think there is very much an appeal to having a strong leader um, and the strongman tactics of, like, you've seen it in history before with, I mean, Donald Trump is even a person like that, where you have this guy who's incredibly charismatic and who wants what's best for the people, wants what's best for the people. Mm-hmm. You can really, like, that can take a hold of a society as a whole because like having such strong power like that is usually a bad thing. Cause the people that go in those positions, those strong men that get put in dictatorships are usually terrible people. And this is, this is a hot take that I have. And let me know what you think of this, Jordan. I'm ready. But I think, I think democracy as a whole is incredibly inefficient and pretty much a bad idea. And if, if the better solution would be right, we have a dictatorship, 
But this dictator is completely sane and wants the best civilization to, to come out of it as possible. I think I think that is the perfect society. Like a perfect a perfect society and a perfect government is an overarching figure that wants what's best for the people and wants what's best for everyone. Because then if you just have one sole person running everything, you don't have all these different ideas being thrown together. And that's sure. why things like democracy in the United States of America, we move so slowly when it comes to ideas or political like movements or whatever it may be things move so slowly because you have to convince half the population about something sure while when you have a dictatorship things can move like incredibly efficiently and quickly because you just need two or three people to be like hey this is a good idea this will be good for our society let's do it all right so adam in the you know i love hypotheticals as you know if you've listened to my podcast i throw hypotheticals around a lot because they're fun and you know it's interesting Mm-hmm. So let's say that that president, President Biden, he, yeah. he, he gets up in front of the microphone right now, you know, assuming he hasn't fallen asleep or something. And he, and he he gets up and he's like, hey, America, um, I'm stepping down as your president and we're not having democracy anymore. Uh, we, we've decided to make this a dictatorship. And <laughs> and, and here's our man or woman. Who is going to be the like? Who would do it right now if you just pick somebody out of out of thin air? If I had to pick someone, yes, uh, Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks can do it. Tom Hanks could do it. I think. Can his son Chet help him? I think we should. Chet should have a major role in deciding the America's fate as well. I think. I think he has yeah. some good ideas. I think he understands what's going on more than most of us do. I think people like us make fun of him because we don't truly understand the genius of his mind. I can definitely say there's a lot about Chet <laughs> Hanks that I don't understand. I I actually really wasn't aware of of him for uh, for a long time, and I'm sure Tom Hanks would probably prefer that people don't don't have an awareness <laughs> of him. Um, yeah, yeah, interesting. But uh, no, I. I I mean, I could I could joke about the the Hanks administration of or dictatorship of the world, but let's... dictatorship of Hanks. No, who would you pick? <laughs> who would be who would be your dictator of choice right now if you had to pick someone? Well, okay. First, I just want to say that I can I can appreciate some of the things you are saying about dictatorship, but I'm telling you, I don't want a dictatorship. <laughs> yeah. I, I do not. As painful as it is, there are parts of democracy that I would prefer to stay. But yeah, but I think I, I also can appreciate, like I said, what your what your opinion is about the slow moving nature of democracy, because I do agree. I mean, that's a frustrating part. A big asterisk in my point is dictate the, the problem. The problem with having a dictatorship is if you have any remote person who is bad, then things go very badly, very quickly. Yes. But in a democracy, you can have a few bad people, but the system as a whole makes it so that those people can't just power grab everything and then control society you know and so i will that that is the the counterpoint and that's why i agree i think we should keep the democracy for now but something we should think about for the future if we ever find someone who's an almighty good that we should trust in well okay so this was what i was going to ask and i'm not trying to deflect the question of who i would have because honestly like i don't know um I, i i i i can't say somebody like would i would i probably want it to be a politician maybe not you can do it yourself uh i i don't i don't think so because like (laughs) i yeah i uh, i I don't know i I don't think i'd be qualified for that but 
what I was going to ask is I, again, I really don't know. I know like the, the, uh, what do you call it? The dictators that get a lot of coverage or have Hitler, Mussolini, Stalin, you know, some of these other figures, but like, has there ever actually been a time in recorded history where like someone looked at a dictator and they're like, yeah, they were all right. I think you could argue there were a few British monarchs that were actually like very good people and wanted what's best for like their society. Yeah. I mean, along the same lines, there were, there were ones that were just as bad, like the one that's talked about in this movie. Yes. But yeah, I, I don't think, think I don't think the one in this movie is good. He's not good. Like, there's definitely some like I think monarchies is the easiest way to like see it because the usually monarchies are passed down through family lines. Yeah, because so that's not the there's same. A lot as, less... That's not the same as true dictatorship, right? Or kind, yeah, kind I, in a way, because you're still like it's like it's succession through the bloodline, but. Yeah, yeah, I, I would I, I would have to look up the exact term of dictator. When I think dictator, I just think like they control all the government and they are the they are yes. the whole they are the person we follow. So like uh, absolute monarch, I would consider a dictator, but that that could also not be the case. But I think I think why di- like yeah. monarchs usually have a better chance at being like actually good is because they come to power not from violent revolutions they come to power from just being the son of some guy yeah and usually when they're the son of some guy they have really good education backgrounds they know their responsibilities as soon as they're born presumably like you just, you, 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 yeah. presumably i mean like yeah. these people still go crazy and especially like when you consider the british monarchy where there's a lot of incest involved then things yeah. can get a little haywire for sure but well, i the, when i think of that i always think of the thing where it's like okay like say like it's successful for like two generations back to back like it's just mm-hmm. working like you know you know mom or mom or dad they have a kid and the kid's like i want to be like my dad and they're like oh that's great because guess what you're in a monarchy so you're gonna be anyway <laughs> but but what i always wonder then is like okay like but then like what happens when you have that son or daughter or whoever that is like I don't want to do that. I want to be a dancer. Like I, I want to, I want to do this. Like, I don't want to follow in the family path. It's like, okay, well then like, well then what happens? They're forced into it, but then they have no qualifications because they're just dumb. They don't want to do it. Yeah. I mean, that that has probably happened a lot through human history as well of like sons and daughters that are just like, nah, I don't want to do this. Fuck this. But, but but that said, sir, I think whether it's dictatorship, monarchy, democracy, any form of government, I don't care. I, I, I do not think there has been one that is perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Like, Definitely I think there not, are no. holes in every single one, and that includes democracy. So I guess I would just conclude that point with just saying that I hope that we can try to be more sensible and work together and listen to each other and all those things that are inspirational and, you know, help. Let's help each other, Adam. Don't you want to help your common man? Or I would, I would love to help my common man. You know, we yeah. got, we got to work together. You know, we got to make sure we're our brothers and sisters. You know, and everything like that. I feel inspired. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I wanted to ask you on the subject of V. You know, uh-huh. Mister V, right? Oh yeah. So they talk about it in the movie, and I think they they kind of try to make you question it as an audience member. They're like, well, is he a terrorist? Is he a freedom fighter? Is, is that one in the same? How did you view the character V? I mean, like, did you see him as purely someone that's just a noble person doing the right thing? Or did you feel like, you know, this guy is, is basically a terrorist and uh, yeah. I would hope people would get from the movie that he's a 
complicated character and while he might have good intentions like he's not he's definitely not perfect right like he i think i think honestly okay i will say that that might be a critique of the movie at times though because i think they definitely romanticize and make him sort of a hero which he very much is but a lot of these revolutions and a lot of these people who form these revolutions are not usually great people and they're usually like they're, the morality of the situation is really hard to judge on whether like this is the right move and whether this is like whether we should be maybe killing these people who maybe might have been innocent civilians for the greater good of stopping the tyrannical government you know like it's really tough to say whether he was a good hero or whether he was a terrible person and i think that's the way it should be because that's that's the way revolutions have gone through in history of mm-hmm. this moral gray area of like well, we probably should have stopped this, but like also the people who are stopping this are also not great people either, you know? I think the movie handles that balance, the the balancing of that question pretty well, because I do think that you're ultimately you ultimately root for V, I would say, as an audience member, because you're like, yeah, this this government sucks. Yeah, uh Chancellor Sutler pretty is pretty terrible. There's yeah. curfews, there's audio and video surveillance. Uh, this is not really that great. Like there's those fingermen, the people that try to to rape you in the street. It's it's mm-hmm. some pretty heavy stuff, some not good things. So it's a good, it's good to see somebody like this come up and be like, no, like enough is enough. I'm gonna help people and blah, blah, blah. But but then they do openly at times kind of question it and and natalie portman i think kind of serves as the audience eyes for that because she at one point is like okay like you 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 killed him you admitted to killing this person you know who's like part of the party and he's like yeah i absolutely murdered him and that you know i think i think yeah like the movie pokes not pokes holes but it definitely shows the flaws of him in that he may be idealistic and he may have noble intentions with it and he's articulate and and well-versed but he is doing some things that are extreme and maybe didn't need to be done i don't know if he necessarily needed to go through you know outside of his selfish motivations to murder all those people that had done him wrong in the past you know Mm -hmm. i I, he probably still could have accomplished um his goal of blowing up parliament and and uniting people without having to murder those other people and that also goes with the whole you know subplot in it where uh this is a spoiler but you know he tortures Natalie Portman. You know he does that whole thing to rid her of fear. But I'm yeah. like, you know, you maybe you maybe could just like talk to her a little bit instead of you know waterboarding her and shaving oh, yeah. her head and and making her eat crap in a box and like mm-hmm. other pretty horrific things. So I mean, like I it, I think the movie shows that yeah he's definitely not perfect. He is doing some things that likely shouldn't be done. But then at the same time. Um, sometimes I would argue that extreme action is needed to, to make change happen. Like, otherwise, like, I, like how, how would some of these things move, you mm-hmm. know? So yeah, there, I don't know. It's just, it's interesting to think about that. Um, I was also, I was also curious, could you do some of those complicated monologues that he does with the letter V? Cause you know, there's that one part where he's like, blah, 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 blah. like he just says, oh, like, he just keeps like saying, it. victorious v- vocation of valiant v- for cat. I don't know. Yeah, he says. Honestly, that's that's a tough word. That's a tough letter specifically to do something like that with. Like, I had v no idea a, there were that many uses of it. 
Yeah, V visa that's a pretty niche letter specifically. So that props yeah. to him for being able to do that. And that's why I think he should be our true dictator here because this man knows how to use his language. Yeah, do you want V to be the dictator or you want to hire Hugo Weaving? Like we're just gonna be like, hey, we liked you as Elron and Mr. <laughs> and Mr. Smith and and V. We we think you have what it takes. <laughs> we think you have what it takes, Hugo. <laughs> I mean, with a name like Hugo, come on. Like, that's that's a that's a dictator name right there. I will say on just the subject of his performance, I think he gives a really good performance. And I do think that it's a it's a big challenge for an actor to do because you literally don't see his face. Um, yeah. There are some exceptions, though. Like, if you actually pay close attention, especially during the torture sequence, the lighting is dimmed in such a way that you can see it's Hugo weaving without the mask. If you look just right, but he's still, you know, 99% hidden throughout mm-hmm. the whole movie. So you're not having to see his face. So he's a hundred percent reliant on his uh, physicality and the way he moves. And then of course his voice. And I don't know enough about Hugo weaving to say this for sure, but I do think he is a classically trained actor. Like I think he does have theater background because his performance you know, the character is very Shakespearean in a way, you know, he's very grandiose with his ideas. He has these big, long monologues. He has a very, he's a very well-spoken person. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I definitely think as far as an acting job would go, it's, it's a pretty hard one for someone to pull off, but I think he does a good job. So yeah, agreed. That's that's what I would have to say about that. Mm -hmm. Um, So what about Natalie Portman? Did you like her? Um, Natalie Portman is an actor I am not the biggest fan of in this okay. movie. She, she was fine, yep. but I find she's not very good at emotions and acting. Is my really? one problem with Natalie Portman? I no. yeah, like really? honestly, like okay. Interstellar too. Interstellar, I wasn't like the biggest what? fan of her. No, she was one she's of the, not. She's not in Interstellar. That's Anne Hathaway. Wait, who am I? Th- That's oh, Hathaway. maybe I'm thinking Anne Hathaway, dude. I haven't I haven't seen this movie in so long. I apologize. It's 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 okay. It's okay. Oh my god. Well, what do you think of Natalie Portman? Well, I really I mean, I really like her um as an actor. I I think she has pretty incredible range and I would say as far as her emotional uh side that you know that she shares she has to go to some pretty extreme places in this movie. Like she's having panic attacks. She's having like nervous breakdowns. She's bawling. She's being tortured. Um, she has to cry, you know, a, a couple of different times and, and pivotal times in this movie. And I'm always actually really fascinated with how an actor is able to get to that place on camera and have mm-hmm. it be so raw and believable. And they're just burying their soul for like, just kind of everybody to see. I mean, that's, you know, acting to me sometimes done at its finest. And I'm not saying that Natalie Portman deserved an Oscar for this movie. It's not that type of thing, but uh-huh. no, I mean, I, I really think like she went for it. I mean, her accent, I also think was pretty good from what I can tell for, you know, British accents. She's not, yeah, I guess British. she's not, she's not British, right? She's like one of the only people not British in this film. Yeah. She, she's not British at all. And I mean, dude, she literally shaved her head for the role and you know they legit did that and i think again like that's just it shows commitment to a performance and i think if the role is right and it helps i i think actors should should kind of take those lengths to do that and so anyways no i would say i really liked her um 
I really liked her in this movie and and yeah I mean I think I think she she breaks your heart in a couple of scenes because yeah she she goes through she goes through a lot in the movie so I'll just I'll just say that it's that makes pretty extreme I guess um, I, I can't comment because I mixed her up with Anne Hathaway but I will say I don't like Anne Hathaway very much and I am going to keep to my point of she was bad in Interstellar well, for, but okay. now I'm looking at Natalie Portman's IMDb right now, and she has done some really good movies. Like, have Black you seen? Swan. Have you seen Black Swan? Have you seen Annihilation? That's uh, a really good yes. movie. Yes, I have. Annihilation I, I is own really that. good. I need to get the uh. 4K of that. But yes, I actually we should do a podcast on that sometime because there is some really big ideas and concepts in that movie. I would love to talk about that movie because honestly, nobody has seen that movie either. Really, I've seen that. So. Movie. Uh, well, I mean, Jordan, you, you've seen every movie, I feel like. So it's I, like, I, but like I, I do see a lot. I feel like not a lot of people have seen that movie. We should talk about that when we have that podcast at some point. Okay. I, but I, okay. I, I can't help myself. I want to talk about one thing on Annihilation quick. Just a really quick sidetrack. It'll be it'll okay. be a minute. Just a mm-hmm. minute or less. Okay. Now, I don't know how fresh the movie is in your mind, but one of the most eerie clever original sequences that i've seen in the movie in recent years and i'm not just saying a sci-fi movie i just mean like it's clever i guess maybe it is a sci-fi movie this would be a thing Mm -hmm. that that creature that's like the bone bear but that that screams out in human voices do you know what i'm talking about the bone bear yeah because there's this bear that's in the movie and like it it's 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 attacking them. Oh yeah. But it, it, like it, it, tricks people, it tricks people to come help it. Cause it's like when it goes instead of that, it's like, like you hear people like actually cry out and help. And it's super, super uncomfortable. Yeah. That's well, I think, isn't it the voices of like things that's so the, killed already? Yeah. Too? Like it's actual yeah. people. It's not just like, God, it's, it's some, it's heavy. It's that movie really is intense. Heavy. That movie is very intense. Honestly, very good movie. It's uh, yeah, I, I okay, I'll hold you to it. At some point in the future, we will talk about Annihilation because it's it's well worth it. And yes, quick plug. If you haven't seen Annihilation, it's 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 very well worth it. It's like one of my favorite sci-fi movies, I would think. Yeah, it's like, I, I was very impressed. It incorporates a lot of like really good parts of sci-fi together and it just works seamlessly, I think. So great. Well, movie. you know what else works seamlessly? This transition. <laughs> 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 now um adam i'm curious mm-hmm. uh, it, it seems like you're not really down with the government always I, you know <laughs> I, I i'm not saying that you're a part of a group you're a part of a coalition you do yeah. things in the streets i don't really know what you do but if I'm a you're revolutionary f- what can i say well okay if you're a revolutionary let me ask you this if mm-hmm. you're fighting against the man you're going to fight against government. I mean, what do you think is an effective way to do that? Or do you, or do you think there's an effective way, you know, like protesting or rioting or like, what, what, what would you say? An effective way to stick it to the man. Sure. If you want to, if that's your, if that's your point, that's your point. I think a very effective way to do that in the United States specifically is um, my spending habits. Okay. Um, I would say things like boycotting are probably the most effective way to, uh, dis- like dissuade like American governments from doing things. Um, money kind of runs everything in the United States, and I think that's probably the best way to make my voice heard, other than just say some things on the street. Like I understand the point of protesting, and I really think it does have its sure like ups and downs, but like 
things like boycotting and like using your wealth and using your like people power with that wealth is really where I think you could see change personally. How about you, Jordan? What, what would you mm-hmm. think is the best way to stick to the man? It's it's a tough one because, you know, there's terrorism. Lot... <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll, I'll make this clear, make this clear for the listening on uh, for the listening audience. I do not condone doing acts of terrorism. I just want to make that very clear. I would agree with that statement. Yeah, I I would not say that's an effective thing. Now, I would say that there are some ways that are effective against, you know, going against control or the government, um, some more so than others. I would say like on a local level, and I do mean this, but like on a local level, a lot more people could stand to like vote in their local elections, whether it's for like city council or mayor or anything Mm -hmm. like that, there, there could always be more of a turnout and awareness on that. And so you could always put your voice there and that if you do do it right, could help. Um, Otherwise, you know, they say sometimes like if you like actually take the time to like write a handwritten like plea to like the governor of your state or something like that, that perhaps if you do it enough times, like think of like Andy Dufresne and like Shawshank Redemption, where he's just like, I'm going to write a letter once a week for like 20 years and and then I'll get $500 for my library. Um, (laughs) You know, (laughs) something like that. So, I mean, sometimes like just persistence on that level could help. Mm -hmm. Um, But other than that, I mean, I, I, I would say that you're onto something when it comes to like, you know, monetarily wise, like with money, like what you choose to like, put your money where your mouth is as they say like where you're choosing to spend your money uh mm-hmm. it's like it's like you know people that choose to support local business over corporation you know in yep. a way like that's kind of a you know we're fighting against you know big big tech and like big companies you know yeah, we don't want to support them yeah um you get enough people to do that that can help um but now you know honestly what i think a lot of it is like if you really want to fight if you really want to fight against the control it's I think it's just done on a social level. It's just how you're networking, you know, the people, you know, if you're in a position of influence or if you are under, you know, you have people under you. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think effective leaders are, they, they do things like that all the time to, to fight against control by how their, their powers of persuasion, the way they're able to talk to people. So Mm -hmm. Sometimes like that. And I guess the only other thing I would say, like just on the subject of protesting, because like you see it, I don't think a lot of them are that effective though. I mean, honestly, I, like I see sometimes, like I, I remember like Alliant Energy here, you know, Alliant Energy here in Cedar Rapids, they had put out this thing of saying that like, we're going to be jacking up your electric bill for like the next like five to 10 years or something for investments into like clean energy or something. Uh-huh. They said something like that. And I think like there was like, maybe like, 10 or 15 people that showed up outside of Alliant Energy with like some picket signs and they're like, we're pissed. We're not yeah. happy about this. And it got uh-huh. some local news coverage. And then really, I think nothing happened with it. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. It's tough, dude. Yeah. I here here's a good question I have for you, Jordan. Kind of a slight tangent, but not complete tangent. It's okay. This is this is a nice hypothetical I love to give to my friends every once in a while to kind of like kind of gauge where you are like where where how where do you stand on like how much do you care about your life because like let's say hypothetically speaking there's an alien race that comes to you to earth and they want to kill us all would you be on the front line and die for humanity to try to save the life save the lives of humans as a whole that's just the question like yeah, am that's I... the, that's that's the first part of this question would you say you would do that 
now I, I, i'm not trying to like overthink it but like is this like i'm joining the army like i'm just like yeah. i'm gonna go mm-hmm. on the front lines and like that's that's my first response to like yes. fight it mm-hmm. um <clears throat> i guess i would say off the top if it's very clear that the threat is like really dire and the aliens that are there are using force like that's like their very first response like they're not talking to our president they're not coming down like you can just clearly see they are here to kill people yeah yeah i i would like to think that i would probably put aside whatever i'm doing and be like okay like i think i might need to i might need the help Mm -hmm. i've never been in the military or anything like that but if the threat was severe enough and the you know it was grave enough Mm -hmm. I, i i would like to think that i would you know forget about my own problems and do it sure oh yeah would you would you do the same for something like china let's say china tried to invade the united states and we want the united states to be the united states of china so, would you would you die for your country then or you'd be like let's give this like we're, go- we're going we're going to invade china is that no they're invading us they're okay invading they're invading us. us so china's coming over here yeah. and kind of similar deal yeah similar deal yeah hmm that's a tougher one because and I, I'll say it's a tougher one because one, it's a human, mm-hmm. you know. So like an alien, like you can kind of separate it a bit because you're just yeah. like they're not they're not people. They're, they're pigs. Like yeah. they're like you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know. I mean, who knows? Like, like let's say like they're like the Independence Day creatures, where like they're just like yeah, that's yeah, my yeah. They're like life. octopuses, whatever. Yeah, dude, octopuses so scary. <laughs> um, no, they. <sighs> it's a this is a good question though because yeah when it comes to like the wars with like actual countries and whatnot it's really tough because i don't think war is really the most effective means of doing things i mean like especially like mass battles and fighting people and things like that mm-hmm. i mean it might make for a good movie or might make yeah. make for some dramatic tensions and stuff but it's ultimately <laughs> wasteful you know, resources and people and, you know, we could be doing more productive things with our time than killing each other. Yeah. You know, so I guess, I guess this is what I would kind of attribute this to Adam is like, if it was the China thing, you know, well, like the last war where it was like, almost like just complete people being on the same page of like the threat is, you know, it's, it's world war two. You know, like that's one where like everybody, like you had all these countries that are like, okay, these people are tyrannical. They just want to wipe out everything and dominate, like yeah. just dominate. Right. Yeah. It's like, okay. Yeah. I, I could see, I would, I would honestly probably fight to like defeat Hitler. Like that would yeah. be something I would probably honestly do. But what I'm saying like, is like in the case of China, it's like, I would have to feel pretty strongly that what they are representing and what they are doing and long-term, and it's very clear, like they have stuff that is going to have an overarching negative effect on humanity. Mm-hmm. I would, I would need to feel that kind of a, a strong pull to, to like, be able to be like, yeah, I'm going to go and, you know, and, and, you know, fight Die against for this, you know, fight yeah. against China, you know, uh-huh. But I, I don't know, because I, I, I say that because I do think our country and not not trying to make this political, but this is V for Vendetta. So it's uh, it's it's only natural. Yeah. I think I think our country's been a part of conflicts and wars that we absolutely didn't need to do. And people oh, yeah, di- and people died for no reason. No. Oh, yeah. Something like Vietnam is so sad because it's really just like it was ideological driven. 
And like, there were so many things that went into it. I understand why it happened, but still like, damn, like all these people died for like literally no reason at all. And it's so sad to see. And like, that's one one of the, one of the things I think that really is kind of dissuaded, like a lot of my friends and like people that I know, like nobody that I know is like, yeah. yeah, And China, like we, we see the Chinese government do some pretty terrible things to people, Yeah, but I'm still like, I don't know if that's a good idea, even if they're invading us, because I see like, I can see TikToks of people from China doing completely normal things that I do. And these are all normal people just as much as we are. And things like social media and like increasing communication with people around the world and globalization has really led to getting rid of this whole like tribalism around uh, this is a, these people from a different country, they're animals, they're fanatics, they're the worst. Like yeah. that whole us, us that whole mentality, kind of thing, that whole know? mentality is almost pretty much gone at this point, which makes it like makes it so. I think wars like that probably aren't ever really going to happen again. Like, yeah, things, we'll see it in different ways, but we won't really see it as me with a gun against a guy on the other side of the battlefield, also with a gun, just because the internet's kind of changed things because of that. And, you know, and, oh, for the better, very yeah. much so. But well, that, and that's what I that's what I was going to comment on because that's that's an interesting way of putting it is that the state of connection that we have with with technology and social media has, you know, arguably made people that ordinarily might not connect from such a far distance be able to connect with much greater ease. Mm-hmm. And so despite all the problems that social media and big tech has with you know, big brother stuff. They watch everything we do. And, you know, apparently Facebook is now going to be the matrix. I don't, I don't really know. (laughs) Um, There's all these different things, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of a nice positive silver lining to be like, you know, people have a greater sense of awareness of other countries issues than ever had before. And would probably think twice about being like, let's just get all of our troops and land on the beach and, you know, take them out. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a different way of thinking now, and I I would argue, uh, like you said, I would argue that it's for the better. Honestly, yeah. I wouldn't want stuff like that to happen. I don't think those big wars need to happen. So no, they really don't. So yeah, but it, it's it's interesting. I guess what do you have? What do you, you said? You asked this question to some of your friends. I mean, like, do you get a lot of them that are like, nah, like let's just go to war? You know? No, I don't. I don't really know anyone that that has that like yeah. these days. Like it's. And maybe maybe it's because the people I hang out with have like similar mindsets that I do. Like you kind of just hang out with the people that like have the same values you have. Progressive, but, Adam. Is that what you I mean, are? Are you a progressive? Is that what you, uh, is that a thing? I don't know. Like you got to you got to define that. Like I think I think I think just giving me and giving you a label of something mm-hmm. is pretty disingenuous. Sure. And I think it kind of I think it kind of defeats the purpose of like being able to have these conversations and flesh things out because everything's so much more complicated than just one specific ideology and just running full steam down that ideology, whatever it may be. Like well, would you think- say that you have any friends that are as as they say in terms of politics, like on the opposite side of the aisle? You know, they're across the aisle. Like, do you have people that you know that like they could not disagree with you more? on what you think about things i i don't think so honestly because i i don't know i i tend to see like advantages to both sides of the aisle whatever if you're like a leftist or whether you're like a pretty hard conservative like i think there's advantages to both of those and i think if you strongly go one way or the other i find that to be a little bit of a red flag because it means you're not really open to change in your ideas and you're not open to like talk about why like 
the other side sees things this way and this side sees things this way like i think it's important mm-hmm. to be like well there's a reason people see things this way and we should talk about like that issue specifically you know like i don't know yeah i i find extremists in a political belief that is the other side of the aisle for me i find that to be like an issue more so than like any specific side no matter what it is because i think a lot of a lot of political ideologies and like thinking as a whole they come from good ideas a lot of them do and a lot of people because a lot of people follow them and they see the they see the advantage to these sorts of things but i think everything has its trade-off at the same time and just like going hard down one political ideology is usually not the way to go I usually take Jordan. Well, I I just think when it comes to like communicating politics, because I'm a very big person just on the subject of communication in general. I I really think there's a lot of work that we still need to do as people to better communicate complex ideas and theories to one another without subjecting them to our, you know, emotional perspectives on the issue, like us getting, you know. Um, I guess what, uh, what I'm trying to say on this is that it's really, I think, tough for a lot of people to separate personal feelings and emotional connection to something they're talking about versus just, you know, kind of like how Ben Shapiro is. He's just like, facts don't care about your feelings. And he talks very fast. Um, <laughs> but, but he does. Have, I would say that if I'm just going to, if I'm for some reason going to talk about Ben Shapiro real quick, I would say that he has a point in talking about that separation of the two but that said um i don't know i like i I get where people like that can come from where you're like you know just totally remove your feelings from it and just focus Mm -hmm. on facts but sometimes that's easier said than done and sometimes you know there's like the moral argument towards things and that's something that's directly rooted in a feeling you know yeah it's it's hard to sometimes to take away the humanity out of something when you're talking about it with someone. So this is, this is what I would say on this to kind of wrap up my, my rambling on this point is that I think like, let's say like you, Adam, let's say you are, I don't know, you, you hardcore are on the conservative side. Like you're like, I super love Trump. Don Trump. Yeah, yeah, you're like Donnie. Donnie's my guy. I like him mm-hmm. a lot. He's great. And I'm yeah. like, well, I love Biden and he he's the best. And Trump's Hitler and he you know, he's horrible. Yeah. I think the biggest the biggest thing that we can do for each other on this is to still talk about it with each other, but still keep respect as the mutual undercurrent throughout the entirety of the conversation. So, like, for example, if I start the conversation by right away belittling this guy that you clearly support and like, mm-hmm. and I'm like, just like kind of being very naive about it. I'm just like, you know, he's an orange haired Oompa Loompa crazy person. He's a shithead. And I, I just, yeah. I just kind of start going off on a tirade. Well, you're going to get defensive right off the bat. You're going to yeah. get defensive right off the bat because I'm just trying to hit. I'm just trying to go for the low blows because uh-huh. it's, it's fun. I'm or, trying to hit you with a gotcha. Kind of yeah, thing. I'm, tr- I'm yeah. trying to just do this and like none of it's meant to respect what you think about it. It's just mm-hmm. like, I'm right, you're wrong. And your opinion is not only wrong, but it's stupid. Yeah. And, and it's like, if I'm already starting off conversation like that, how, how am I going to be able to, re- you know, expect any type of a productive resolve to the whole mm-hmm. thing? You know, it's like that yeah. whole thing. It's like you you have to ask yourself before certain conversations what you want the end result to be. And when mm-hmm. it comes to politics, 
I would just say, I ultimately just want the end result for whatever the situation to be is to just have a mutual sense of understanding so that I can walk away from it being like, okay, I get exactly why this person feels this way and I still respect them. I don't know. I, I just think there's a lot of that that gets lost when it comes on this stuff. And, you know, people get, you know, it, it hurts people's feelings. Friendships are lost. Families get divided. It sucks. It does. It really does, honestly. And I always the best mindset to have that I find is that at the end of the day, morally speaking, we all want the same thing. Like yeah, we, we have a lot want... more in common than what then separates us. I still think even like the most divisive of people on both sides could agree on that. Yeah, we all want what's best for everyone at the end of the day. Like we want the best systems. We want what's best. And that's that's how it goes. And there's there's a difference in how we get to that, how we get to that point. And I don't think we should we should hate each other because of that, you know, and like I always always assume that the person you're talking to, like, has the same sort of endpoint <laughs> that you want to where is best for everyone. And there's just a misunderstanding in how to get there. and like being able to understand their points and why they want things to go a specific way is a lot more constructive of an argument than just yelling at the person and telling them they're stupid for having their ideas and they they're brainwashed and they don't understand what's going on yeah i don't know well i i i would also say when it comes to just talking about the stuff the the biggest thing that i i run into is that and I, i say this for a lot of different subjects it's not just politics a lot of these things are complicated to talk about there's nuances to them. There's data that you have to research, especially if you're talking about like a health related issue, which seems to come up all the time now, whether it's vaccinations or the COVID virus, like there's all this complicated data behind it. And so my, my point behind this is that between the complexities of the data or whatever the problem is and all the different facets of it, it takes a lot of time sometimes to really unpack these things in a meaningful way. And I just find a lot of people don't have the time. I I just, I I don't think they, I don't think a lot of us do, which is why a lot of us, you know, they turn to Twitter and we just throw out a quick comment and we move on with our day. You know, we, we don't really care. It's just like, you know, whatever. I don't have time to get into all that with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Too much. It's too much, dude. I wish, I wish we could all get along, but uh, I guess that's not the way things work. Is it? So. I, you know, I would, I would say like, you know, when it comes to like just disagreeing with someone on something, especially if, you know, political thing, um, I'll, I'll actually share a, a bit of a personal thing right now. So I have some family and ev- everybody could probably say this, but I have some family that has some political ideologies on things, or they have some viewpoints on things that I could not disagree with more. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that said, it, and this is, I, I suppose this is a tricky balance for some people to strike is like, even, and I'm not going to name these people, but even if I don't agree on some of these things on just a fundamental human level, mm-hmm. I don't love them any less. No. You know, I, I still care for them. I still like them a lot. I like to yeah. see them and talk with them, you know, and of course it helps that they're biologically related, you know, that they're family, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I mean, like some of the things, like, even if I don't agree with it, is it hurting me? Is it really truly like hurting my environment or my circumstance or my community that they don't see the same way that I see on something? Yeah. I personally think on certain issues, no, but then others people would argue, well, you know, that they aren't being safe on something or, you know, it is affecting people. So I don't know. Like there's, 
you're going to be subjective on that, but I don't know. I guess I would say, I would just say that, you know, some of, some of my family, I don't agree with a lot of the things that they believe in, but you know, they are allowed to, to have those opinions and thoughts, and I'm not going to make them feel less, especially yeah. like if they've done as much research on the subject as I have, and, and that's what they choose to do. Then I, I don't know. I feel like they should be able to be allowed to do what they, what they need to do if that's what they believe in. As long oh, as yeah. it's not, as long as it's not physically harming somebody, you know, it's like those, like those 10 commandments thing. If I had the tablets here, thou shall not murder, thou shall not steal. Like some of those basic human fundamentals, like, mm-hmm. okay. I don't know. Maybe that doesn't make sense. No, it makes sense to me, man. I got one more point that I want to say on V for Vendetta. There's a, there's a couple other points I could do, but I, I don't want to take up too much more of our, of our time on here. Cause you've been so kind to just randomly do this. Yeah, of course. Man. Unplanned. Oh, yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about um, Chancellor Sutler, John Hurt. Okay. Because I, and I don't know if you draw this comparison when you watch the movie. And again, it's been a minute since you've seen it, but you should recall that 90% of his presence in the movie is on a screen, right? Oh, yeah. Because it's on the TV, usually. Yeah, yeah. He's, on, he's on the TV. He's either in like that private boardroom, you know, where the, the, gover- the government people are there. Or he's talking to the people on television, but he's on a screen. And mm-hmm. I think that's very intentionally done because I think it's trying to say something about the media. And yeah, I'm sorry, man. I, I have to do it. I have to do it because fake news. <laughs> well, it's 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 an interesting thing because now I would say in this movie and we've already addressed this it's extreme it's heightened reality they openly show that the government has bought and paid for you know big news like they're just like yeah we control it we control the yeah. narrative we put out fake stories we don't care i'm not mm-hmm. i'm not trying to say any message about that i'm just talking about strictly from the movie but yeah. what i find interesting is seeing john hurt's political character through a screen and like you know what does that say about seeing somebody conveying something but we're not really seeing it directly with our own eyes like we're, we're constantly just viewing them through um you know something that we're removed from you know like it's mm-hmm. on a screen like where there's not that personal connection there and yeah. i don't know i just kind of wonder about like what does that say about what we how we process like political information on the news like are we always just buying it like right away like when we see it we're just like oh yeah i believe it like a hundred percent is it right Mm -hmm. to question it like that kind of thing i just wanted to hear what you thought not trying to say a statement about fake news Mm. not not doing that (laughs) i it's a tough line to draw because part of me sort of likes the fact that donald trump made us all criticize like information media more but also, I think there's a line with it. It's like, how, how far do you criticize institutions that we have? And like, how, yeah. how, far, how far down the, like, I'm not trusting any sort of fact that goes against my initial judgment. And that's, that's the path you go down if you just keep believing that whatever you're given is fake and whatever, this isn't real and this is just, this is just paid for by the government. So it's such a hard line to determine of like, okay, which, which of this stuff is actually real? Which yeah. stuff isn't real? What should I follow? What should I not follow? And... I've- Sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I, I lost. Well, I was just going to say, because, you know, there is a lot of nuance to this subject in particular, but 
I, I'll just say just to touch on the movie, and then I'll talk about the the real thoughts I have. I think the movie, I mean, it it it's doing the job well because I'm I'm thinking about it years later, you know, thinking about that imagery and how it affected me and you know what it says about you know trusting your government through whatever they're telling you. Um, because it's an important question. It's yeah. an important question. And I do think that when it comes to like applying it to a real world scenario, there's a couple of things I think. So one, I think anything that gets directly reported like from the government, like whether it's like the White House or here's like an official government press thing, mm. I think the citizens of that country have every right to question every word that comes out of it. You know, yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that's part of what the country is built on is people not just blindly believing everything. Um, I think there should be a healthy level of skepticism and questioning to go along when it's reported directly from there. Now, that said, the trickier part comes in when you're looking at, you know, the actual sources of, of journalism, you know, CNN or Fox News or MSNBC or BBC or, you know, all these all these different organizations. That's to me where it's harder to kind of discern because and I've I'll sound like an old man on this, but, you know, they used to just report the news. They used like I had Walter Cronkite on there that would just say, you know, this happened and I don't have any thoughts about it. Like. I'm, I'm not I think I'm, sorry, go ahead. I think. I think most sane people would agree, though, that if there's any like 24-hour news network out there, that it's all for entertainment money. It has nothing to do with it. Yes, and, and that's where like I, CNN, and... CNN and Fox News and those places are 24-hour news cycle yes. businesses that like need clicks and need money, and they have 24 hours in a day to fill. Yes. So like, it's not all. It's not all going to be true. And taking any of that as fact is just disingenuous and wrong and bad. And that's kind of what I was going to get at is that that's where a lot of the state of like, what do you trust with information kind of comes from? Because like you said, a lot of these places, they can't just be viewed as solely a news source. It's entertainment. You know, yep. all these different organizations have countless different um, like opinion panels and columns and, and all these different things meant to, like you said, get clicks, just drum up advertisement you know, drum up awareness and, you know, views and that sort of thing. And yeah. so, yeah, I mean, I would say that's where it's a lot harder right now when it comes to what I see through a screen is because so much of it that I see now, and I, and I understand why Trump brought it up. Um, so much of it, it's like, you'll see like a fact about something get reported and that, and that'll take like 30 seconds. And then the bulk of the coverage is just talked about what a person thinks of it. Uh -huh. So then like, you know, you're not, you're not really focusing so much on like what is being reported. You're focusing on like the, the viewpoint of it all. Like, what does it all mean? You yeah. know? And I don't know. I think a lot of people have every right to, to be frustrated with that. But at the same time, I, I'm not going to go as hardcore as, as what like Trump was saying, you know, where he's like, you know, up oh, it's fake. I saw CNN. I hate that. I hate them. Everything that they say is terrible. It's all terrible. Did you know it's terrible? CNN is terrible. You know, like, because because when you go like that kind of like just blanket generality and like you just spread it across and like you just keep saying it over and over and over again. Well, then you're undermining you're undermining credible uh, credible journalism. 
you're undermining people that are doing that hard work and getting that information for you to actually discern and make your own decision on by just constantly putting that message out there of like everything that comes from news is awful. Um, so mm. I don't know. I thought there's some rambling I have on that. I'm not saying I have the solution, but I can sure as hell see the problem. That's, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it's a serious problem. And I, I personally don't see the solution, but I like, I think, I think an important solution is to recognize that news media and everything you have is bias. And, but it is also important to not just like completely go against everything and then follow your own intuition. So you got to kind of, you got to realize that both of those problems exist and then try to draw the line for yourself as best you can. I want to like, say, a, sorry, I'm, I'm sorry. Like I, I got to say two things. Mm-hmm. So one, <clears throat> One, I, I, I would say that, um, oh my gosh, I kind of drawn a blank. What were you just saying? What were you just saying? I, I, I don't want to lose this. I was saying the two big points are you should understand that news is biased and that you should be skeptical of everything you have, but being skeptical of everything you have also leads to the issue of not trusting any sort of intuition or fact. And those are two both levels you have to kind of like, you know, yes. tread the but- line with. Yeah, I remember part of what I was going to say. One, and and this does tie to the movie because I think it has a a central question that the movie's honestly asking, and like it's it makes you question it and applies it to the modern day news. But I want to talk about the detectives. So, if you recall, the the main detective, uh, one of the Stevens, Stephen, Stephen Fry, no, no, Stephen Fry is the heavier set gentleman. Oh, yeah. It's Stephen Ray. Uh, Um, Anyways, it doesn't matter. It kind of does. But (laughs) so so Stephen Ray, if you recall, he's a pretty sort of submissive person at the start of the movie. You know, he's been a party member, as he says, for like over 20 years. You can just kind of tell that like his spirit's broken and that he's just like, yep, this is just kind of how it is. I work for the government. Yeah, they they they, they, you know, it's a dictatorship. But Mm -hmm. well. I'm, I'm still a cop and I'm trying to do my job and that's that. But at, over the course of the movie, you know, he uncovers a conspiracy. You know, he, he sees that, you know, three waters and, and all these different uh, all these different incidents that happened that led to the rise of Chancellor Sutler with uh, there being biological contaminants in the water was actually done by the government. You know, that's what that's what he mm-hmm. uncovers. So a yeah. little, little bit of a spoiler, but the thing I think that's interesting about that whole subplot and how it kind of ties ethically into the subject of journalism is like, what if you are a journalist that is covering something and you're just digging up information, you're just purely trying to put the pieces together just to understand what happened, but then you uncover something that is horrific. And on a human level, you get conflicted where you're like, okay, how on earth do I talk about this objectively without throwing like an opinion of like, these people are bastards for, for lying to us and doing this. And I, I just, I actually found that very interesting that the detective was very conflicted of that throughout too, is that, you know, he's just trying to put the facts together, but he can't help himself from feeling morally torn about what he's finding out. And I, and I bet, I bet my bottom dollar that when it comes to real authentic news journalism, that that type of ethical struggle probably happens often. And I don't know if there is a perfect way to just 
totally remove yourself from something. And like I said, it's just removing that humanity from when you're reporting on something. It's very tough because people instinctually want to know how you feel about it. Yeah. And I think it is a tough thing to do, but I think, I think a lot of journalists probably deal with things like that every day. And I mean, like at the end of the day, they'll probably take their own biases into account because like, I mean, my beliefs and everything that I do come from my own biases. So it's like, I shouldn't, I shouldn't necessarily expect them to be any different than I am, but you know, there's a line with that too, of like, if the facts go against your like initial intuitions or your ideas so much, then it's probably maybe it's it's best to be okay with changing your mindset on things. I think is an important thing that or is is an important mindset that journalists should specifically have as well. Because yeah. like sometimes the facts don't necessarily go like for the story that you're looking to weave and the ideas that you're looking to build off. Yeah, of. the narrative. The narrative, oh. yeah. Like things <laughs> yeah. things things don't necessarily go that way. I think it's important to like own up to the fact that your narrative didn't go the way you wanted it to. Sure. with whatever whatever you're reporting at the end of the day and being well, and able that, to change sorry, that ahead. is very important uh, I, I was finishing that point go ahead no i, I was just i was just going to add on to that that that's a very important ethical standard when it comes to i think real good journalism that sounds that's probably improper english it's really good <laughs> um just real high standard like real high quality journalism i think they have to establish right from the get-go that there should never ever be a pre-drawn up or pre-approved narrative that you're wanting to tell. There I, is always there, there is always one. That was the thing. I, I know, and that and that's the thing. It's like I don't know if there's a perfect way to do it, other than that. I would just say, when it comes to real journalism, the people that are doing it, I think there needs to be such a high, like a ridiculously high standard of of ethical practices to follow to do that profession. But then at the same time, you need proper checks and balances to make sure that that's being followed. And so I don't, I, my only answer to that is that I, I really just think that it, it just takes the right morally sound people that can't be bullshitted and can't be bought. And that also, but then at the same time, I think you also have to look at the old overall structure of these companies. Cause like you said, they're entertainment primarily first and foremost, whether they want to admit that or not. And the whole profit structure behind those places is, to me, uh, certainly kind of out of whack because if people's primary motivation to report something is just financial incentive, well, then they're going to misconstrue things all the time if they think it's going to get them paid. So I don't know. Maybe maybe there's no answer. Don't believe anything you hear. Just go go to YouTube. Add, add a, you muted yourself. You're muted again. Oh. You're you're still muted. I am muted. Oh my gosh! But but be careful about not believing everything you hear. Yeah, I would just because yeah, that, I, because then yeah. that leads to just the only thing you're going off of is your own intuition, which can be construed very easily and go down rabbit holes you don't want to go down. Yeah, and that that that's the last point. That's the last point that I will say on that subject is, I will just I'm going to mention Trump really quick because, and I promise I am not. I'm trying to be as like neutral on this as I can, but. Mm-hmm. There is a reason, there is a deep reason that Trump gained a lot of popularity by being very vocal against some mainstream media outlets because yeah. these problems were happening long before him. 
And I think yeah. he just was one of the first people that un, uh, kind of went against the grain. And I don't know if I would say the first, but he he did a very no, good job. But, but at he, it. You know, I, I mean, like you said, he is a very persuasive, very, you know, the guy has presence about him when he talks. He's very good and, at being Donald Trump. He's very yeah, good at being Donald Trump. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good way of saying it. He's very good yeah. at being Donald Trump. But I, I'm just saying that for all the the heartache and 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 division that some of that has caused i don't i don't hate him for bringing it up because i think i think it has caused people to take a a much harder look at that issue as a whole and and certainly makes people be more aware that it was an issue to begin with yeah um i don't know it's just it's a really tough one I, i guess if i had any moral advice or just any advice on this it's just try to use your head you know, understand that there are some of these elements that are going into what you're hearing and just, Mm. you know, I wouldn't hop on board the conspiracy theory train all the time, even though sometimes it's just plain fun. Oh yeah. Um, But you know, it's just like, just use your head, talk to other people. And at the end of the day, your, your decision-making won't be perfect, but you should at least be able to look at yourself in the mirror after looking at something critically and intelligently and just be like, you know what? I'm going to make a decision on it one way or another, win or lose. And if the decision that I made on this ends up being wrong, well, then then freaking fess up to it and don't be a baby and just be like, well, you know, I'll change. I don't know. Yeah. Be open to change. Love everyone. Think the best of people. I love you. I love you, Jordan. Thank, thanks for letting me be on this podcast, man. Yeah, this wasn't really planned, but I, I enjoyed the conversation and the program did not crash. So I, hey, I, am, I am pleased we with did. that. You got to make sure to press that save button, big dog. Yeah, what if I just that like, save oops, I, I didn't do it. <laughs> this is another wasted one. Oh, no, dude. No. I mean, this is still a great conversation, though. So I, yeah. I, I this this would not be wasted time if it wasn't recorded, for sure. So It's true. We talked about some interesting things. Um, and, and yeah, I'm not going to drag out this, this exit. We're done. We're done. Goodbye, Adam. See you, kids. <laughs> <laughs>